0: I'm glad all of you are here today. I, I tell you, this morning, first service and this service, I, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I, I just feel the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm glad all of you are here today. I, I tell you, this morning, first service and this service, I, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I, I just feel the Holy Spirit is, is here. I know He's always here, but you know, sometimes our, our, our human selves kind of get in tune a little bit. We begin to really understand, hey, we're not just in a church service. We're in the very presence of God. And, and I, I, my prayer and my hope and my trust is that I'm with a group of people today, even watching online, that understand that and begin to feel that same thing. Um, and, and if you can't get there in your flesh, that's okay. Uh, David said, hey, there's a, there's a praise down deep in my spirit yet to rise up within me. And he, he said, soul, awake. And so maybe today some of us need to say, awake my soul. Get, you know, there, there's still a praise left to, to give inside of me. But I can tell you this, I can tell you that as long as you're breathing air on this planet, you're going to have needs that need to be met. Is there anybody that can identify in the room today? And those needs, a lot of times, can be met by other people. But there are some needs in your life within a God-shaped void inside of you that only God himself can meet. And where you'll find the provision for those, uh, those needs being met is in his presence. And so I want to tell you today, you're in the presence of God. Maybe you came in and didn't know that. Maybe you, maybe you do. Maybe you felt that. Maybe uh, you brought the presence of God in here with you because you've been praising him and you've been worshiping him and you've been with him uh, before you ever got here. But I want you to know today, whatever needs you have, m- no matter what the need is, the need can be met in the presence of God. For some of you today, it could be a need that he meets immediately today in this service because two or three are gathered in his name and he is here in our midst. Uh, for others of you, it may be a path that he shows you. God's needs, are, the needs you have are always met by God in a Christian life, either immediately or by a path he wants to take you through. Now, the immediate need is met, that feels good. The path that you walk sometimes to get those needs met doesn't feel so great. But by the time you get to the other side of it, and by the time he meets that need, by the time he does something in your life, that path has shaped you in such a way that you're not the same whenever you go on with that. Not only did did he not just take you through that path just to see how much you could take, but he has shaped you into the type of person that is now prepared and grown into the person that can handle the blessings that he's going to pour into your life in this new season. So either way, you win. Either way, God's presence prevails. Is anybody hearing me today? Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I, that, that, didn't, that, that didn't come in the notes this morning. We're actually in a, in a series about something else, but I want you to know how much that ties into God's presence. When you lean in and whenever you, you're attentive to the presence of God in your life, that's whenever life change begins to happen in you. God has never changed. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today, and he's the same forever and always will be. We're the only ones that have the capacity to change. And when his provision is always the same, his supply is always unlimited. But it's when we begin to realize whose presence we're in, and when we begin to yield ourselves to him, that he begins to change you and do something in your life. And that's where your needs are met. And uh, so that, if that's for you today, I want you to grab onto that, and I want you to run with it. Uh, today we are finishing out a series called "Church Is," and we've been talking about all the different stereotypes in the community, in the world, when it comes to the church. Many of you have heard these stereotypes. Many of you have have maybe said them. <laughs> and 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 if we're honest with ourselves, some of the stereotypes that the community gives the church, the church is earned. In in, in some parts, or some ways, uh, we we covered the churches. Hypocritical. There's a bunch of hypocrites in the church, and we, we talked about that. We talked about the fact that the church is greedy and only wants my money, and we talked about that. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Princeton uh, and teaching the, that particular message, and I thought, "Hey, it's the first time I've been to Princeton and taught. Why not talk about money? Right? It's the very first time thing they've ever heard me say over there." Um, but God's word is God's word, and so I'm proud to speak it wherever. Uh, and, and today we're going to be tackling an interesting one, and, and I think a lot of ways. The church has kind of earned this and when i say the church i mean the body of christ and that is this the church is unfriendly the church is unfriendly um i heard of a guy who was new in a community his job moved him there and he decided that he was going to go to church in the community and so he gets there early he's a little nervous uh he doesn't sit in the back and he doesn't sit all the way in the front he decides he's going to sit middle of the way and about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes before church starts, he's sitting there, and this, uh, this old-time guy kind of walks up with a cane and says, excuse me, son, you're sitting in my seat. And, uh, and he said, really, it just ticked me off. He said, I don't know where I grew the guts to say this, but I just turned to him and said, your name's not on it. And the guy just starts to raise his cane. And at first, he said, he thought, I thought he was going to hit me with it. And he pointed to this plaque on the back of the seat that literally had his name on the seat. His name was on the seat, people. And so he just, I mean, what are you going to do? He got up and he moved. This guy was adamant. Church people can be unfriendly sometimes, can't they? When I was a kid, I went to a church that had a softball team. And this softball team was straight up, they could have gone and faced anybody. Uh, In fact, I didn't even bother trying out, because many had gone and tried to play before and didn't. Unless you were Derek Jeter, <laughs> you didn't qualify to, to play. Um, and I'm being facetious, but this they won a lot of championships. They won a lot of tournaments, and that's just the way they did, and they were very serious uh, as, uh, when they did this. And, and so Tuesday nights, we'd go watch them play. We'd go watch tournaments and do different things. Well, one particular night, it got so serious, somebody, I won't say which side, but somebody rounded second base and lowered their shoulder and just plowed into the shortstop. And I'm like, you know what? This is some friendly, godly competition right here. And it, you know, the guy got up, dusted off. Then they started to exchange words. Then trash talk began to happen. And the godly competition really amped up. I mean, And, and they began to go. And, and before long, and I kid you not, fists were flying. I mean, people were fighting. Benches cleared. And I thought, man, these are two church groups right here going at it. And what they're not realizing at that moment is Sunday is coming. And they're going to be serving in their respective churches, maybe holding a door or something, smiling. And here comes the guy that they just punched in the face the week before. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, church people can be unfriendly at times. I saw this cartoon recently of uh, this guy standing before God at the, at the gates of heaven. You know how cartoons go. And uh, God's looking at him He's saying, yes, you were a believer, but you left the don't be a jerk about it part out. And sometimes, guys, church people can be, can be unfriendly. I saw a, a, an article recently, and this was the name of the article, 10 Things You Can Do to Assure I'll Never Come Back to Your Church. I, I'm not going to read all of them, but I just wanted to read a few. Uh, don't be welcoming to me in the parking lot. Don't smile or acknowledge uh, me when I walk in. Don't provide me with any info to read about your church. I love this one. Pass the offering bucket twice. I'll never come back to your church. Uh, Ask me to give you my email address, and then spam me on Monday with 23 different emails about every single thing in every ministry is doing in the church. That one made me laugh. This is my favorite one. Ten things to assure assure I'll never come back. Visit me at home. (laughs) Ha, ha. Some of you have had that knock at your door. Um, I actually went to a church one time where the way they did, uh, they welcomed guests is they took them homemade bread to their house. Great gesture, great thing. But I'm just telling you right now, that doesn't work at every house. You go in some people's houses, and the first thing they do is knock at the door, or the knock at the door happens, and they're asking who you are, and you don't know this, but on the other side of the door, they've got a weapon pointed at you. You, know, you, just, you just don't go to everybody's house. But you know what's interesting about these things that I read, about things that people hate, that, that people do at church, is that the interesting thing is a lot of them are true, but the other interesting thing is, is that these are all expectations we have, at least a lot of them, that we would have at a restaurant or really anywhere we go. But think, we all want good parking somewhere. We, we all want something or some person to smile at us, acknowledge us when we walk in to the lobby, to the, to the restaurant. Uh, we expect to have something to read, a menu. And we expect, if we fill out a survey, that they're not going to spam us. <laughs> really, it's not a matter of church. I, I think, really, this is just a human condition that says, I want to be respected anywhere I go. I expect for people to treat me to treat me friend, friend, uh, friendly. Do you know why Chick fil A is so successful? You're gonna hate me for saying this. Contrary to popular belief, it's not because they have the best chicken sandwich in the world. I know, boo. <laughs> we, nobody wants to hear that. I had one from Wendy's the other week, it was awesome. <laughs> the reason why Chick fil A is head and shoulders above the rest, and why when I mention their name, you're just favorably disposed towards them, is because their customer service rocks. It's because they treat every single person with dignity and respect and they don't fail. Not once. They're they're the friendliest people in the world. They, they They are doing it heads and shoulders above the rest. And in a lot of churches around our country, you're dealing with people that have given their hearts to God. But they're not trained in customer service. In fact, I would say that a lot of people that have given their hearts to God that are serving in the church, they're dealing with their own life junk, and they don't know how to not show it on their face. (laughs) It it happens. Uh, And then we show up as guests expecting Chick-fil-A service because they've just rocked it out in the secular world, and, and that's what we expect. But instead, we get Grouchy Gus, whose medication changed last week. And he doesn't even want to be there himself, much less Does he care if you're there or not? Now, I want you to hear me. I'm being facetious. None of that uh, means that the church has the green light to ignore guests. None of it means that the church has a reason to act like that they don't care uh, to people. Around here, we believe everything that we do is an extension of the character of God's excellence and love. Everything. I don't care for holding a door. I don't care if we're checking your kid into class. I don't care if it's an usher that is doing something for you in this, in this auditorium. Everything we do says, I care about you and should be an extension of Jesus Christ. Our goal is that when you see us as a staff and as volunteers, we want you to see him. And my prayer and my hope for you is that when people see you, not as members of the bridge, but as, as Christians, that they, you're like a, a glass they just see right through and you reflect Jesus Christ. That's the goal. In fact, the psalm says that a joyful look brings joy to the heart. You can look at somebody, and when it's done with an attitude and a heart that says, I love you because I love Jesus, it can bring joy to them. That, that's the word. So everything we do around here should be an extension of God's love and God's grace. But I, I just want you to think about this. If a restaurant service you go to, if it, if it just stinks, it's horrible, what do we typically do? Well, we don't go back. But the interesting thing is, is that we don't stop eating. And it's the same thing in the church. Just because you encounter some unfriendly people that call themselves Christians doesn't mean that we look at God and think somehow he's changed. It doesn't mean that that somehow God and his character is somehow devalued because a human being has a bad day. What it means is that I can look at somebody who has had a bad day or just is getting it all wrong, and I can lay my head down at night and go, I serve a God that doesn't change. I serve a God that loves me, and everything he did for me 2,000 years ago is just as strong today as it was then, and it gives me the ability to plug into him and receive his love and pray for the individual that calls himself a Christian and is getting it wrong. That's what we're supposed to do as, as Christians. Yes, there are, are human beings that aren't, aren't friendly, and they need to work on it. But listen, church, hear me. If you're a Christian today, we need to focus more on being the church and not on grading one that we go to. And that's, that's big right there. Now let me say this, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and that's okay with me, I'm I'm glad you're here, or maybe you haven't crossed that line of of faith yet, you haven't said yes to God, he's not the Lord of your life, you haven't given him authority, and and you know what, I'm I'm grateful, maybe you're here today because someone invited you and you're here, Uh, maybe you're here today because you have questions and you're just trying to figure it out, you're curious, either way, I'm I'm glad you're here, and and maybe for you, you you would say, you know what, I, I see it. I see Christians, and they're unfriendly all the time, and and I would say, you know what? There are a lot of people out there like that. There are. I I know the Christians that that call themselves Christians, they show up on Sundays, and they fake it, and they never change anything about themselves. I'll give you that. I I know people. I've been in ministry 17 years. Nothing seems to surprise me anymore, although there are some things that, that get me. I've seen Christians call themselves Christians and steal from the church. I've seen it. I've I've seen people that say they follow Jesus, and they cheat people out of money, and they justify it because they didn't technically do anything illegal, completely ignoring the integrity and moral issue, but they didn't do anything, quote, illegal, and so they, they justify it. And I, I've watched people come out of church services, hear me, because you're, you're going to be tempted to do it maybe, I don't know. I've watched people come out of church services and then go to a restaurant and treat a waitress like a hired servant and leave her a crummy tip, if none at all. And can I just say, if if you do that, please don't tell people you go to the bridge. (laughs) If I can get serious with you a minute, and I say this with the utmost love in my heart, if that's your heart, then you really need to think about calling yourself a Christian. Because if we're supposed to be Christians, we're supposed to be loving the way Christ loved us. We're we're supposed to be looking at somebody, and, and we should be known by the way we give. We should be known by the way we give our friendship. We should be known by the way we give our material resources. We should be known by the way we give uh, our prayers. We should be known by the way we reach out and touch people in a way that means something. Love gives. I want you to understand that. Love always gives. And so if you're defining yourself by Christ's love, then you will always be a giver. Always. Always. Love never takes. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it goes down the list. Love is patient, love is kind, love it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. And when you think about love, it's always giving, it's never taking. And so if you would describe yourself as somebody who goes into a place and immediately thinks, what can I get out of this? I I would challenge you to really think about and have a a kind of a self-inventory moment about where you're going and about am I really exemplifying the love of Christ in my life or am I calling myself a Christian but exemplifying self? That's that's big. I talked to waitresses at times, and, and they tell me, they say, you know what? The, the church crowd is, are the worst ones. I hate that. And I think one by one that we could really make a difference there. I'm not going to stay there long. I want to I say this. I, I understand that there are some unfriendly people on this planet, unfriendly people that call themselves Christians, but I, I want to say first that that's not every Christian. I know in this church, I know a lot of people, I know your hearts because I meet a lot of you and I know a lot of you, I serve with you, and I know a lot of people that are associated here, uh, you've got some of the best hearts in the world, and I'm proud to serve next to you, I really am. And so I know that because there are unfriendly people in the world, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's every single person that calls himself a Christian, and secondly, I'm glad that just because there are, it doesn't mean that God has changed. God is still the same. And, and he hopefully is, is challenging all of us in a way that we're all growing up in him, attaining to the full measure of Jesus Christ until we all, as the scriptures say, reach unity in the faith and are mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, it doesn't matter how an insincere a, a person is, it doesn't change who God is. And I'm grateful for that. But let's, let's talk for the rest of the time that we have today about God's solution for unfriendliness. God's solution for unfriendliness in the church. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, the unfriendliness, as far as church folks go, is a real stereotype, and it's valid. It really is. And it's not because we're all horrible people, but it's because a lot of times the way we look to the outside, we don't give that much thought. And we, we, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we have no problem letting people see our flesh nature and forgetting the fact that God has called us to be set apart. He has. He has. He's called us to be holy, and in fact, Ephesians says that, that in, in the first chapter, it says that God called you uh, and predestined you before the foundations of the earth were created to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, that's, I could preach on that for about a day and a half. It's exciting because before the foundations of the earth were created, God had a plan for you. Why would you need to be holy and blameless in Jesus Christ if you hadn't even been born yet? In fact, Adam and Eve hadn't even been made. They haven't even sinned the first time because God was there. He knew that we would sin, and he planned Jesus ahead of time. That's powerful. That's how much he loves you. He knew you'd sin, made you anyway. He knew what it would cost him. He made you anyway. And here we are supposed to be exemplifying that. And, and, and God has the, the, the remedy, the solution for friendliness in the church. And, and this is what we have to do. It's two parts. we got to design the church for friendliness. To be the type of people that, that when people see us, they, they, they see Christ in us. And we design the church that way. For most churches, churches are structured to be unfriendly, and they don't realize it. <laughs> they, they don't have a clue. Uh, but it goes much further than just being nice. Being friendly in the church has, has more to do than just holding doors and, and smiling. Do, do you know when people are the friendliest? When individuals are the friendliest is when they have satisfying relationships to draw from. They are. I, I, I could hire people to come here and fake it to you and so that you have a good experience when you're here. But after a while, people that genuinely don't care, they're just faking it, you'd sit in here and you'd come for a little bit, and, and after, after a while, you'd start to see right through the veneer, and you'd start to say, something smells funky in this. So Something's not right. There, there is something in the air that's just, is fake. It's shallow. It, it may be a mile wide, and the lights are bright, and you know the music's banging, but it's about an inch deep. There is no depth here. Because why? People see through fake. But when you have people, the church, who are involved in relationships where they're giving and they're taking and there is this this healthy balance between giving love and receiving love, they are the friendliest people on the planet because they have filled up with something far greater than themselves and they have something to give. They're satisfied. They're joyful. They have the Holy Spirit at work in their life, which is producing joy and peace and and loving kindness and patience and perseverance. And all these things are happening, and so they, they can't help but to pour it out on every person they meet. They're the friendliest people on the planet. It's the church that is involved in satisfying relationships. So if the church is going to be loving and the church is going to be friendly, it has to be a place that is structured to foster those types of relationships. Would you agree? I can't just come in here and preach to you every week and then walk out and you just expect you to figure that out for yourself. The church, called by God, is, I believe, destined to help you do that to provide atmospheres where you can get involved uh, with with people. And and we have and need, as human beings, um, uh, three different levels of relationships. I want to talk to you about these. Uh, The first century church had all three of them. And the first one is this, an acquaintance. Say acquaintance. You have the capacity as a human being to have thousands of acquaintances. Now, these are people that uh, you share limited knowledge with. These are people that you have some type of connection with but you don't really know them. It could be another parent on your kid's baseball team. You don't even know their name, but you're connected through a, a mutual connection. Um, outside of that, you, you have nothing in common. You don't, even, you don't even see them outside of that. Maybe it's a friend of a friend that you play basketball with, pick up on, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, some type of consistency. You don't really know who they are, but you have that mutual connection. Uh, it could be the lady that does your nails um, once a month. You, you don't know them personally, but you have that mutual connection with them. You're acquainted, but you don't know anything else besides that. That's an acquaintance. In Acts chapter 2, we read where the church first began. And it's interesting, that when Peter got up and preached for the very first time, filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, power, something awesome happened. Uh, verse 38 in chapter 2, it says, Peter replied, this is just part of his message that he preached, he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Look at verse 41, this is how they responded. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 3,000 were added to their number that day, instant megachurch. 3,000 people, and they were all baptized that same day. If 3,000 people got saved in in one service, that's a lot of acquaintances. They they didn't know each other. In fact, if you look at the crowd that day, they were from different parts of of the world. They came back uh, for a specific festival, uh, but 3,000 of them got saved. They didn't know each other by name. They didn't know each other personally, but guess what they had in common? That they believed in this this man named Jesus Christ and that he was the son of God. The fact is, is that we need more than just acquaintances to be friendly. We need more than that. The next level of relationship that we need is companions. You have the capacity within you as a human being to have hundreds of companions. Uh, This is a closer level because now you know specifics, At least some, in part, you know some specifics about somebody else. Uh, It's not the closest level, uh, but it's closer than an acquaintance. This is the person that maybe you work with every day. And you don't just work with them and share that mutual connection. You know he's married because you've met his wife, because she came to your job, and you know her by name because he introduced you, and she brought him cookies, and he knows you good enough that he shared them with you. (laughs) Now, that's a companion, right? Yes, chocolate chip, next time bring oatmeal raisin. We want to move this down to the next level, right? It's the person that you work with. It's the girl in your Zumba class that you had coffee with, and you've talked, and you're, you, you know a little bit more. It's not the closest person in your life, but it's not the most distant either. Uh, the number of companions that you have, it drops significantly because you only have a certain capacity to know people that close. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 Verse 15 and 16, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, You know that the household, say household, household of Stephanas devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. If you, if you have your Bible and you write in a circle household, I want you to know that this isn't just people that lived inside their house. This is people, the Greek word there means it was within their sphere of influence, it was within their sphere of influence. These are people that are a radius around you that you have influence in, and they have influence in you. You don't know everything about them. They don't know everything about you, but you see them and they see you consistently throughout the week or the month, um, and, and you know a little bit, you know some specifics about them, and they have influence in your life. They watch you. You watch them. It's things they do catch, catch your eye. We're wired to need acquaintances in our lives, and we need companions as well. But in order to be the church that God called us to be, in order to reverse the stereotype that the church is unfriendly, we have got to get into deep relationships where our needs are being met on a deep, deep level, to be able to fill up, to be able to have something to give. And that deep level is this, a friend. And you'll only have a few of these in your lifetime, because you only have the capacity for that. These are people in your life that know the deets about you, and you know about them. One of my best friends now, just like a brother to me, uh, he's a fellow pastor. He doesn't live around here, but I know so much dirt on him, (laughs) and he knows so much dirt on me, Um, and and we grew up together from boys, and we are the, the closest of friends, and we love each other, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that I can call him at any time of the night, and if I needed him, he'd be here, and he knows the same about me. Uh, we give to one another. This is that type of, of friend. I think it's interesting that Jesus, he ministered to thousands of people. I mean, at one point, he was ministering to over, uh, around, scholars say, about 20,000 people. The, the Bible will say five. That, that was just counting the men during that time. They just put 5,000, not including women and children. Scholars say 20,000 or so at, at a time. Now, Jesus is ministering to this many people, but it's interesting that he only discipled 12. I mean, thousands of people. To be sure, he had other, other companions, uh, but he, he only discipled 12 people. You, you're going to be acquainted with so many people, and you're going to know a lot too, but when it comes time to love and be loved on the deepest level, you're only going to have a few. Paul, in the New Testament, he started lots of churches I mean, he went around the whole region, his whole missionary tour. You can look it up at the back of your Bible in the maps section, you know what I'm talking about, and you can see the, the, where he went. started so many churches, probably hundreds of companions, but he's writing to this pastor named Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he's writing to him, and he's saying, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So many people he knew, so many people that were were in the church, but yet when it came time to have his needs met on a deep level, he called for one. That's why everything we do here is not about just gathering a crowd. Listen to me close, because there's lots of people that come in here every week. And it's not about the crowd, because in a crowd you're going to have acquaintances. In a crowd you're going to have people that you know maybe on a companion level. But that's not where needs are met at the deepest level. You, you don't come in here every single week and have your needs met at a deep level. You don't. You know where that happens? That happens in smaller groups of people. You, you know what goal we have here? And, and you may not know this, but it's happening underneath the, the service. As we get larger, at the same pace, we have to be intentional about getting smaller. I just blew half your minds right there when I said that. <laughs> As we get larger... We have to be just as intentional at the same intensity that we're growing large to get small. We have to get larger because needs are so great, but we have to get small because needs are very personal. We want as many people to come in here and hear about Jesus Christ, but we want to get smaller because that's where we're going to grow together. Now, what are you talking about, Pastor Ryan? Every single event we have here, by the way, this this is an event that the church puts on. And we want as many people here as possible because we want people to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. But guys and gals, this is a funnel. And and, and we want you to get involved in a smaller group of people every single week because you come in here and you can hear a message and you can remain anonymous. And anonymous does not get needs met. Opening up your heart and being vulnerable and somebody else doing that and us exchanging. And and it happens, you know, it doesn't happen right away. That's weird. But you get to a place where you, you've got to foster some, an environment where, where you, you can have friends, where you can have people that you know you can count on. And that, that takes time. Trust has to be earned. But that's why we have bridge groups here. The, this service is a funnel. Every big event we have, the whole purpose of that big event is to get us filtered into smaller groups of people. Why? Because it's in the small groups of people that there's a possibility for you to get to know somebody in such a way that your heart can be opened and they can open theirs in a friendship that deepest level of relationship can be formed. I would dare say it's impossible. Don't you hear my heart when I say this? I would dare say that it's impossible for you to walk in life and exemplify the love of Jesus Christ whenever you haven't given your heart to have somebody else share that love with you and you with them. Because guess what, guys? God can meet every single need we had right here and right now. But you know what he did? He came to this earth. He died for us. And then he took a group of people and said, go start my church. He could meet every need we have right now, but he meets our needs through each other. So if, if you want to be a friendly person that exemplifies the love of Jesus Christ, my question to you is this. Are you connected to a person or a group of Christians who are growing together, where those friendships, not acquaintances, not companions, you can remain anonymous as you want in those groups, you need them, but are you involved in a group of people where you can be friends? Where you can love and be loved as Jesus did? We, we designed the church that way. But guess what? There's, this is also where we, the church is responsible for making sure that we create a culture of friendship. And we do that through our bridge groups. If you're not a part of a bridge group, get involved in one. That's the way the church designs it. We have a culture of friendliness as a part of our bridge group. and I'm just going to take a couple minutes and describe this to you. Here's the three parts of the culture. It has three parts. First one is this. Friends accept where you are. They accept where you are. For for someone who is sincere about growing, it doesn't matter where you are, a friend's going to accept you. And I've seen people get accepted in bridge groups from all kinds of, of, of life. Some people that were recently divorced. They've been accepted to help them through those specific unique struggles. For somebody that was dealing with drugs... Not just a drug addict and didn't care, but somebody that's like, you know what, I'm dealing with this and I need help and I'm struggling and I'm falling sometimes, but but I need a change in my life. Will somebody please help me? And, and we as the church say, you know what, we have a culture of friendliness here because we understand that we're supposed to be a loving, friendly people and we accept you where you are. And sometimes even get them the help that they need and point them in the right direction. Whether it's somebody who's depressed or a single mom that's really struggling or, or maybe it's it's the married couple that they don't know anything other than this. We need to change and change. And we need God in our lives, and we don't know how to do that. We accept you where you are. That's where bridge groups happen. We accept anybody. God, I don't care if somebody is so far away from God it's not even funny, or somebody that's been a veteran Christian for 180 years, which I think is impossible, but you know what I mean. You can come into this church service, man, we're going to love on you, but you're not going to get your needs met. That happens in that deepest level called friendship, and friends accept each other where they are. That's what happens in our bridge groups. Jesus said this in John 3, 17. He said, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to condemn you. I can't. I came to save you. Now, there's coming a day, because all authority had been given to him after he died and rose from the grave, there's one day he's going to have some tough conversations with people. And he has a right to do that, because he's God's son, and he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he reigns victoriously, and all authority's been given to him because of what he accomplished But even then, he said, I'm not here to condemn you. I've come to save. Who are we as human beings to say, we're going to condemn you? No, we're going to accept you where you are, and we're going to encourage you. Friends accept you where you are. Friends also challenge you to grow. Paul told the Roman church, he said, you know, we're strong in the faith. We're supposed to look at other people and help them in their weakness, to be stronger in their faith. You know what that means? That means if I've given my heart to God in some area, and he's healed me in that area, and I'm I'm serving him, I'm supposed to turn around, I'm supposed to look at other people who are struggling with that and help them along in their faith. And sometimes that means challenging them. That's one of the most loving things you can do for another brother or a sister, a friend in Jesus Christ. And God gave you the capacity to do it, but he also gave you the capacity to speak the truth in love. Hear me say this. I don't care what type of friendship it is or if it's a marriage. Truth without love is not a virtue worth having. Speak the truth in love. Friends challenge each other to grow. Ephesians 4.15, he said that we're going to lovingly follow the truth at all times. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ. We're not here for personal motives. We're here so that we can all become more like Christ and do it together. Friends accept you where you are. They challenge you to grow. And friends also expect the best out of you. They expect the best. And you know what I've learned about expecting the best out of somebody? It really doesn't necessarily depend on where they currently are. But expecting the best out of somebody means looking at them at their worst and honoring them so that you can draw the best out. Jesus told a story one time, a very short story actually, uh, about what the kingdom of God was like. And he did this often throughout his ministry. But one particular time he said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure in this field. And there was a man that went and he found this treasure. And when he did, he saw it. He was so overjoyed, I mean joy way down deep, that he went and sold everything that he had to have enough money to come back and buy this field. And so he got the field, and he got the treasure that was inside of it. And and I got, got to thinking about this, and I heard somebody say this one time. It always captivated me. You know what he got when he bought that? And most people say he got the treasure. That's really what he wanted. But you know what else he got with it when he bought the field? He got the dirt that was in the field. And in order to get the treasure, he had to pay for it except the dirt. In order to look at the treasure, he had to see through the dirt. And I think the best thing we can do sometimes as Christians and as friends is see through somebody's dirt in order to see the treasure inside of them. And if there's treasure in all of you, and I'm here today to tell you, I don't know what you've been through, I don't know what you're struggling with, I don't care, I know this, God sees a treasure inside of you. There is something valuable inside each one of you, something so valuable that God said, you know what, I'm going to send my son to that planet to die for them. Because they can't save themselves, but it's worth it to me. He didn't die because you were no good. He didn't die and raised to life, and the power of God rests inside of him to accomplish what he accomplished. And the finality that it was accomplished for you to walk around this planet and think that there's nothing good inside of you. God died for you, and you are valuable, and you have a treasure inside of you. And we need people in our lives that can look past our dirt. You have people in your life that, you know what, they're the most annoying people in your life. You've got family members, and I would dare say some of the people may be sitting next to you. Do not rub or point to anybody. And, and, and nine times out of ten, maybe in this season, you're, all you're seeing is their dirt. How dirty they make you and feel, and you just, you know, and I'm saying that metaphorically. You just don't want to have anything to do with them. You know what? There is a treasure on the inside of them that if you will learn to honor them when they're at their worst, you will eventually see their best. And that's what friends do. And guys, we so far, at times, we've done the opposite of that. If I can't see their best right now, then I'm gonna give them my worst. And we walk around like that with this fence around us, this border that says, unless you're willing to show me your best, I'm not willing to show you mine. And we walk around like that, calling ourselves Christians, and dare I say, earn the stereotype that we're the most unfriendly people on the planet. That's not what God called us to do. John 3.16 says that God so loved us, he came and died for us. He gave his only son. He didn't give first and then find out a way to love us. It says that he loved us so much that it drove him to give. When we were at our worst, Romans says, when we had our backs turned to him, it says that's the moment that he came and died for us. See through the dirt. Expect the best in somebody because you see the treasure that maybe they're not displaying at the moment but you know what's in there. The way to draw that out is to honor them. First Corinthians 7 says, if you love someone, you'll be loyal to them no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground defending him. That verse doesn't describe a group of people that come to a church service. That verse describes a group of people that love each other and are in friendships with each other. That are at that deepest level. It doesn't describe acquaintances. It doesn't describe companions. It describes friends. Filling up on one another and being able to pour out to everyone around them. If you're not connected to a smaller group of Christians who are living that out, I want to challenge you today. Don't leave this place without going online, on the app, whatever, and getting involved in a bridge group. It doesn't have to be a bridge. I'm, I'm not just promoting bridge stuff. I'm saying get involved with a group of Christians that you can develop some friendships with. That goes deeper than just, hey, I know a little something about you. But I'm, I'm actually getting vulnerable. And like I said, it doesn't happen right away. Trust is something that's earned and over time. But get involved. We give you the opportunity to do that here because church service is not what it's all about, guys. It's a part, a good part. But if we're supposed to be living out our lives as Christians, we, we got, have got to get involved with smaller groups of people. We have to. And that's the only place these friendships develop. And we, and we do it through bridge groups. I'm reminded of a couple. Last story, and I'm going to shut up and let you go. The, uh, a couple that came, started coming to this church last year. They came from a different state. Uh, they had questions. And the questions were this. Can I honestly trust people in the church again? Because the church they had gone to before completely burned them. And that was a legit question. And and I'm saying, yes, you can, but that's really not weighty enough because time has to be able to tell. And that question, can can we trust the church again? And I I begin to say, would you get involved in a bridge group? Would you do that? And they did. And you know what? I'll fast forward. They've been involved in the bridge group about a year. um, And not only have they filled up, not only have they developed some of the best friends that they have, but they have filled up to the point where they're overflowing. One of them's in, uh, a leader in our, our Bridge Kids ministry. Another one uh, serves in various capacities around the bridge. They're some of the most joyful people I know. Why? Because they come to the bridge? No, because they started coming to the bridge, but they didn't stop there. They began to position themselves to develop friendships. And just last week, I was in an ownership class after a service just like this one. Uh, if you don't know what ownership class is, it's, it's a class that we get together and we talk about the commitments that you make as a Christian that we would consider you a core part of this church, a core part of reaching the vision of this church. You're not just attending on the fringes, but you're somebody that we would consider a core part of this church. And I'm at this class and this couple comes in and they're there and uh, they're partaking in this class. And I get to looking around and eventually... Um, I begin to realize that it's not just them and some other random people. Every person in that class is, was part of their bridge group. <laughs> and so we did the ownership class, but after it was over, I said, I said, you know what, I'm not gonna thank you for being a part of the ownership class today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank you for letting me be a part of your bridge group today. And I'm looking around, I'm going, man, these guys and gals, they're not just attending the bridge. They are gr- committing to growing in Christ together. And they just took this ginormous step together. I thought, wow, what what an epitome of what bridge groups really is. Growing in Christ together. And so if you want a friendly church, my my challenge to you is position yourself to be a friend. Fill up. Join a bridge group. Invest in somebody. And it's amazing when you do that, when you are vulnerable, and when you don't run from that, it's amazing how genuine friendships and love quietly finds its way back to you. And so go, go online. Figure out what bridge group you want to be a part of. It's still open right now. We're starting in June for this season. Do it. And if you have questions, let us know. We'd be more than happy to answer your questions. Maybe you're here today, and you know what? A friendship with another human being really isn't your deepest need to start with. Maybe the relationship that you need is one with Jesus Christ. A friend can meet your needs temporal on this earth, but there is a man named Jesus Christ that came to die for you to meet your eternal need, the deepest need that you have Because one day this life is going to be over, and you're going to stand before a holy God who's perfect in power, with a perfect heaven. And the question may be asked, maybe it's just we ask this question now, how am I as an imperfect person going to go and be a part of that? His name is Jesus Christ, who is perfection in your place. And I just want to pray, if that's you today, and you want to make that decision now, you can do that. God doesn't make it complicated. And then then we're going to go but I, I just want to pray with you and I, and I just want to say this I, it's, you feel it right now maybe you're watching online or maybe you're in the room you feel that pull at your heart it's not something that I have to explain or, 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 or try to persuade you with words you feel that at your heart and right now I'm just a messenger I'm just a person that God sent today for this, this day and this time to connect the two of you would you bow your heads with me and pray that prayer would you be bold pray this prayer God, God hears your heart more than your words God I need you and I want to say yes to you today. I believe Jesus came to this earth to die for me. And I believe that he really died and spilled his blood to pay a sin debt that I couldn't pay. There's a God-shaped void inside of me that I can't fill. But I believe Jesus filled it. And I believe he really rose from the grave through your power. So I, I give you my life today. I, I make, let you make the decisions. I give you the authority. I commit to growing in your Word an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I understand this is not a one-time decision, but I've, I've just made a lifelong decision that's going to last long after this life is over. I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect, but what it means today is I'm starting a fresh slate. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. Lord, for everybody else in the room or, or, or listening online, Lord, my prayer is that we would get out of the facade That sometimes acquaintances and companions can bring with it. But Lord, help us to be vulnerable. Help us to understand that in order to be what your church, uh, what what you described in your word as your church, in order to be that, we've got to get in genuine relationships with people. We have the capacity for only a few. I pray that we would seek that out and start the journey. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Can we say amen together? Amen. Look at me real fast. If you prayed that prayer today, can we just give it up for everyone who prayed that prayer right now? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I wanted to give you one more challenge. Don't, don't do this alone. Don't let your starting line today be your finish line. You have a connect card in front of you. I want you to take a second and fill that out. And there's a box that says, I prayed to receive Christ. I want you to check that box. And as you walk out today, you can pass it to the ushers on the way out. We want to connect with you. We want to give you some potential next steps and maybe pray with you. So w- would you be willing to do that? For all the rest of you in the room today, uh, use that connect card. There's, if you have questions about the church or prayer requests, we want to be a resource to you. So use it. Today, right after the service, in the lobby, if you're new for the first time today, or if you've been here for a couple months or so and you uh, have never, you want to know what's next, or you're just new, uh, we want to be able to meet you. There's going to be some staff there with shirts on, just like this. Uh, just 15 minutes. We've got some snacks, just to say, hey, put a face with a name. I hope you'll take part in that, guys. I love you. I want you to have a great, great uh, Memorial Day uh, weekend. And uh, if you, if you're not going anywhere, I want you to know this. Sometimes the best vacation is the staycation. If that's you, you know what I mean. I'll see you next week.